Jesus' disciples come to him and they ask him like the same thing we're talking about right now. They're like, when's all this stuff going to happen? What do we got to do to prepare? You know, they're just like really curious, just like you and I are curious. And interestingly enough, he didn't say, just be born again, like abide in me. He didn't say that. Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not convicts. Hello and welcome to The Dismantle, a show for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. On this show, we attempt to dismantle an issue that poses as problematic for the church by having a discussion with a guest who has insight or experience with that subject. Now, if you're new to the show, we won't always agree, but we won't argue because our goal is to gain understanding and perspective by sharing views in a way that builds bridges but not barriers. Our guest today is D.R. Rogmore. DR is the author of the Wrath series, a fiction trilogy of books. DR, welcome to the Dismantle. It's great to be here. Thanks, Joey. I'm excited that you're on. Before we dive into our topic, could you give our listeners just a little bit of uh, backstory about how you got introduced to church, to faith, some of your spiritual background? Absolutely, I'd love to. So, I grew up uh, in the church. My my parents are both believers, and they, you know, all my siblings and I attended church. Uh, at a very young age, and uh, I came to faith uh, actually just before I started high school um, is, is when I uh, became a Christian, committed my life to Christ. And um, after I got married, my wife and I um, began to attend the, the same church together for many years in Southern California. So most of my life has been spent in Southern California. I'm in Dallas now. And then we, uh, now that we're in Dallas, we currently attend non-denominational church here in Dallas uh, called Gateway. So, um, so that's kind of my church background. We kind of grew up in the church, and then when I got married, my wife and I attended church together in Southern California, and then now we attend church together with our family here in Dallas, Texas. That's awesome. Would you say that from where you started to where you are now, there's been a journey aspect to your faith? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, to be just completely candid, you know, when I went to college, like a lot of young Christian kids, I just floated away from church. I stopped attending, um, kind of backslid for a while. And then uh, in my late 20s, kind of came back to the faith, especially, you know, after I got married and started thinking about, well, we're going to have kids. And I certainly want my kids to grow up in a church. So so there was a period of time there, though, um, during my college years and a little bit after when I when I was not um, attending church. And I kind of fell away from the faith a lot. And so I know that's pretty common, certainly today, um, unfortunately. But uh, the good news is I, I kind of I kind of came back to the right place. Uh, it just took me a while. Hmm. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. So on the show today, we're talking about some of your work and some of Christian eschatology. Now, before we get started, to get us all on the same page, Christian eschatology is a major region of study within Christian theology that deals with end times, end things. And one of the primary sources that we use when studying that is the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. Right. DR, what's been your experience with eschatology? What, what kind of drew you towards this field of study? Well, um, it started in high school. You know, the church I grew up in, they didn't, the, the senior pastor didn't talk a lot about the end times, it was, you know, like a lot of churches today, it was kind of taboo. He didn't want to probably um, create any kind of contention. So he kind of avoided the subject, but there were lots of other people in that church, friends, my youth pastor, who were like super interested in end time stuff. And so they would talk about it. 
in youth group or you know friends of mine would would give me a book about the end time so so my first introduction you know was in high school um and quite honestly you know what's not to like about like the book of revelation i mean as a 16 year old 17 year old it's i mean you've got these demonic scorpions flying around stinging people i mean that's pretty exciting stuff so so it's, it's actually, you know, it's like a sci-fi novel almost, um, reading it. And so it was, I just like thought it was more interesting than the other stuff, right, that I was being taught. And so um, I don't remember in high school, like terms like pre-trib or things like that. I just remember there was a strong emphasis on, you know, we're living in the end times and the rapture is going to happen and, and you better be ready. And so like fast forward to after I got married, my wife and I started attending a uh, church called Calvary Chapel. They, they're actually more than a thousand Calvary Chapels around the country. We attended one in Southern California, probably had about 10,000 members. And all Calvary Chapels, to their credit, do teach a lot about the end times. In fact, at the, at the one we attended, um, it would be rare for our pastor to go more than a couple of weeks without at least mentioning something out of Daniel chapter 9 or Ezekiel 38 or 39 or Revelation it was just a very, very common, comfortable theme. So, so that's when then, then I started getting really interested because there was all this teaching, formal teaching, like by the senior pastor. And I began reading um, every book that I could get my hands on, you know, about the end times. And during that time, this had been in my late 20s, early 30s, all of the teaching up until that point in time was all from a pre-tribulation rapture perspective, pretty much all Calvary chapels hold to a pre-tribulation rapture um, position. And so that's what I was taught. And it was like really comfortable to believe that. And so I, I believed it. And, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I, you know, like a lot of people, I read the Left Behind books, loved them. Um, then fast forward, you know, in terms of kind of the, the change in my thinking on end times or eschatology, fast forward to 2006, and um, my dad, I was living in Cincinnati at that point in time. My dad was still in California. He was, he was um, dying of cancer. So I flew out to be with him for a few days um, before he passed away. And, you know, I had a lot of time on my hands. He was kind of fading in and out, you know, on a lot of morphine. And so I just had a lot of free time. So I started looking around his library and I happened to pick up, you know, one particular book kind of caught my attention because it was about the rapture. It was, it's titled The Pre-Wrath Rapture of the Church by a guy named Marvin Rosenthal. And remember up until that point in time in 2006, I was like, you know, the the only thing I believe was the preacher of rapture and I was just 100% convinced it was true. So I start looking at this book and I got really upset. Like I was reading the front and back cover and I'm like, this guy's telling me I'm, I'm wrong. Or, you know, that the, the church is going to be here for a portion of that seven years. And it really kind of upset me. Um, however, uh, because I've always, you know, I've read tons of books on the rapture. I thought, well, I need to be open-minded. I'm going to, I've got time on my hands. And I sat down and started reading this book by Rosenthal. And honestly, I, I couldn't put it down. I ended up reading it three times, which I just, I never really, I don't, I can't recall any book. I read three times in a row. And so after um, reading his book, um, I, I kept trying to find like holes in his arguments, like this can't be true. And and I became more and more convinced. I went back and for weeks did my own kind of reread chapters uh, from the Bible that deal with end times, trying to find out if this was really true. 
And so kind of very reluctantly, I came to know and believe that Rosenthal is, is right, you know, that the church is going to be here for a portion of that, you know, seven year period. So, so in 2006, everything changed for me. And I moved from, from kind of being a big proponent of the pre-tribulation rapture to a big proponent of the pre-wrath rapture. So that's kind of my, kind of how my thinking has changed over the years as it relates to end times. Now, so we could all get on the same page. Uh, there's a there's a piece of end time eschatology known as the millennium. Yes, uh, um, it's a highly debated issue, and you know, as as most things that we're going to talk about within end times eschatology are. Uh, yes. But the millennium is when Christ will reign for a thousand years. Right. And when that is going to happen is what becomes problematic for people. And that's sort of what you were alluding to with post-trib, pre-trib, or amillennial reign. Could, could you dissect uh, or give some brief overview of the three to four different views for our listeners so we could all be on the same page? Yeah, let me you know just give the four key positions for the timing of the rapture and then some thoughts uh, on the different opinions on the millennium. And so on the rapture, there's really four schools of thought. There's pre-tribulation, that, that the rapture will happen before that seven-year period. There's mid-tribulation, which means right at the 3.5-year mark, halfway through. There's pre-wrath, which is means sometime in that second half. Um, and then there's post-trib, which means the rapture will happen at the end of that seven-year period. Then the millennium, I believe, follows that seven-year period. And there, I am what would be considered a pre-millennial, I believe, Jesus will return to the earth at the end of that seven-year period, and that he will then subsequently rule and reign on the earth uh, for a thousand years. There are others who um, have a different opinion. They believe that Christ returns, you know, post-millennial at the end of that thousand-year period. There are some people who also, I, I, I believe, um, hold to the opinion that, like the millennium, we could be in it now, right? Um, that, it, that it's not a specific set period of time. Um, but my my thinking is, you know, the rapture happens sometime in that second half of that seven-year period. Christ returns um, at the end of the 70th week of Daniel, that seven-year period, sets up his reign for a thousand years. Um, and then at the end of the thousand years, you have two key events. One is the judgment seat of Christ, where, um, uh, where those of us who are believers are rewarded for the things we did with pure motives. And then the great white throne judgment, which is where non-believers are judged. And then after that, you're into eternity, right? But in, in, in my opinion, that's the sequence of events. But, you know, clearly there's different opinions on the timing of the rapture, of course, and different opinions about the millennium. Some people thinking, I, I'm sure that, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm, there may be some Christians who don't even think there will be a millennium, right? That it's, that it's allegorical, right? That it's not a literal thousand years. Now, within each of these views, Dr., we see this element or an element of wrath coming from God. Wh where do we get this idea, and and is it biblical in your opinion? It's it's absolutely biblical. But if you kind of do a search on the Old Testament, there's this this uh, phraseology called the Day of the Lord or the Day of His Vengeance. It's called different things, but there's there's clearly throughout the Old Testament and the New. 
um, this teaching that it's at a point in time, God will absolutely pour out his wrath on the earth. If you think about when Jesus started his ministry, um, he started his, his ministry kind of formally by going in the temple and someone handed him the scroll from Isaiah. And he opened to Isaiah 61. That's what it is in our Bibles today. And he said, he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he stopped. And it's fascinating what he didn't read. He didn't read the very next sentence, which is, and the day of vengeance of our God. And it's clear now to us in retrospect why he didn't read that last sentence, and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus came the first time um, as a savior, right, to save us, to die for our sins. He will come the second time to pour out God's vengeance or God's wrath on the earth. And that wrath will be poured out during that seven-year period um, through the trumpet and bull judgments. But this concept of vengeance and, and God's wrath is all through the Old and New Testament. It's a clear teaching of Scripture. And now with these various views, we see this idea of a tribulation. That's the period when the wrath will be poured out. Do you think that Christians suffer this wrath? This is a really, really important topic, and maybe we could just spend a, a little bit of time on it. Sure. There's, there's a huge difference uh, between tribulation and wrath. Those are, like, those are two totally separate things. Um, Jesus told us, that his followers, Christians, he basically told us in, in John 16, 33, he said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I will overcome the world. So for Christians, we absolutely will face tribulation in this life. However, we won't ever face God's wrath. And that's promised in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, where it says, for God has not, uh, has not appointed us to wrath, but to, to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So tribulation and wrath are two different things. Think of it this way. Tribulation is what kind of Satan and the world does to Christians or pours out to Christians, pours on Christians. Wrath is what God does to non-believers. So so yes, in this world, Jesus promised us, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to get, in fact, we're going to go through the great tribulation. But we are absolutely not subject to God's wrath. That's the, the key distinction. And so the huge question, and it's so fundamental to this debate about when the rapture happens, it's the, the most important question is, when does God's wrath begin? Because once you figure out, okay, what's the point in time when God's wrath starts, then you can get the timing of the rapture right because we're not appointed to wrath. so clearly the rapture has to happen before god's wrath begins but then you have to say well where is that and we'll probably talk later about the specific verse in the bible where it tells us exactly when god's wrath begins but but clearly tribulation is promised to every believer but but we are exempt from wrath god's wrath now the lone fact that i have to believe that the men and women who have interpreted scripture and come up with these these fascinating interpretations they have to be well intentioned you know they're they're intelligent individuals they're they're fervent believers in in Jesus and his return but they're so variously and vastly disunited yes and dispersed on their on their conclusions as to when and where and how and all these different things, especially when it comes to Revelation uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 15. 
And if you're a listener, uh, I encourage you to go and, and read that, and that'll you know give you something to think about for oh eternity. Um, <laughs> but what do you think the main difference in so many people coming to one of these four views is, Dr. Uh, you know, if I can sum that up, how do you, how did we get to these four different points of view? That's a great question, and I don't think I could tell you specifically, you know, on this date in, you know, 1933, someone articulated the pre-tribulation rapture. There are people who will argue that the pre-wrath rapture was taught by the Apostle Paul, and others will say, well, no, the pre-tribulation rapture was taught by Apostle Paul. I don't have, I don't have any idea. I'm not, a, I'm not like, I didn't graduate from seminary or go to Bible school. But what I can tell you is that in Daniel chapter 9, in the book of Daniel, when it talks about the end times, it says very, very interesting. In the, it might be Daniel chapter two, not chapter nine, but it says in the last days, um, people will travel to and fro, and that knowledge will increase. And so, obviously, knowledge has increased exponentially. Technology, you think about the last fifty years, but I think that also means knowledge of the end times chronology. So, if you think about it this way. Um, people's views are definitely changing as it relates to the timing of the rapture. Just in the last few years, I have heard from Christian leader after Christian leader after Christian leader. These are folks I follow online that I respect, who for years um, were convinced in the pre-tribulation rapture. I mean, Nelson Walters, who just published a fantastic book called Rapture Case Closed, in incredibly smart guy, like, like a pastor, a theologian. And, and there's someone who's like incredibly sharp and he was just completely convinced. And now he's, I don't know if you read Rosenthal's book, I'm not sure exactly what caused him to change his opinion, but he's completely changed his mind. And there are like dozens of these leaders. And I think what God's doing is if you think about it from God's perspective, he doesn't want his children to be kind of misinformed. It's about such a critical time as the last days. I mean, there's just, there's just he just doesn't. And so I think what he's doing is he's bringing clarity, like one person at a time, like he did for me in 2006 and saying, you know, you've got it a little bit wrong here. You're actually going to have to go through some really tough times. And so I think it's not so much that there's been four different opinions out there for, you know, 1900 years. I think there's been a variety of opinions, but now I think the Holy Spirit is starting to move and starting to convince people and give people more clarity. And so what's happening is there's this struggle because there's those who you know, I have members of my family who are Christians who just, they don't want to hear about it. They're like, no, I've always been taught that we're not going to have to be here for any of that. And so I don't even want to hear the evidence. And so that's where the conflict's coming. You have kind of this clarity that's being, I think, given by God. And, and God, one person at a time, is changing these leaders' minds. And, and, and so, but then there's this conflict because others are saying, no, I'm, I'm not even going to consider the possibility that I could have been wrong for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. The other thing is, and this is this is something I've been thinking about just in the last few months, there's this unique kind of first, call it American perspective or first world perspective that makes it really hard for folks, to, in, certainly in, in the United States, to imagine that they would be, you know, go through something as terrible as the Great Tribulation, like all that persecution, martyrdom. And I think it's a uniquely first world or American thing. Let me tell you why I say that. If you and I got on a plane this evening and flew to North Korea and got permission to go into one of their prison camps, and they have tons of them over there, and there are Christians who are persecuted and, and executed in North Korea for their faith, 
And we were able to go talk to one of them and we said to them, hey, you know, I've got some crazy news for you. We, I've just learned that the church is going to go through the Great Tribulation. We're going to be subject to arrest, persecution, maybe even we might even be executed for our faith. <laughs> now, can you imagine what that person in North Korea, the, the look they would give us? Like, hello, this, have you been reading the headlines for the last 2,000 years? This is what the church has been going through like forever in certain parts of the world. So, But in the United States, we've had such unbelievable freedom from persecution. I mean, there's no real serious persecution that's gone on here in our country in over 200 years since, since we became a nation. And so I think there's this uniquely American perspective where people have a mindset that says, and I get this when I, when I, you know, um, do Facebook posting and provide evidence, you know, for the timing of the rapture, people will say things like that. They're like, well, God would never, you know, subject his bride to that kind of, you know, difficulty. And I'm like, I've been reading the headlines. Did you see what ISIS did to Christians in Syria? You know, this stuff has been going, read Fox's Book of Martyrs. I mean, God has allowed his bride to be subjected to arrest, torture, execution throughout Christian history. So I think where we're getting this conflict is there's this unique American or first world mindset that there's just, it's a no, it's a no starter. As soon as you say, you know, you're going to, the church is going to go through great tribulation. People are like, nope, that can't be possible because we've never had persecution here in America and it will never happen. It's like, well, no, it's going to. So I think those are some of the things that, that are kind of, you know, create all this kind of clamor around, well, who's right and who's wrong and, and what's correct. I think my encouragement to everyone, and, and I'm very courteous and professional when I post and when I respond to people, even when they're kind of a little rough with me, I always encourage them to just be like the Bereans. I'm not asking anyone to agree with me or disagree. In fact, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do exactly what I did when I stumbled on this book by Rosenthal. You know, it bothered me, it upset me, but I said, you know what, I'm going to read it. I'm going to check it out and see if it's true. And, and the Apostle Paul, he commended the Bereans. He said, because they didn't agree or disagree with what Paul said, instead they went back and studied the scriptures daily to see if it, what he said was true. And so that's my perspective. Everyone should be open to the arguments for both sides, for every position. And then as individuals, we need to go back and study the scriptures ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit, Okay, help me figure this out. This is a little bit complicated. There's a lot of thoughts here. Tell me what's true. And and God will do that. The Holy Spirit will absolutely bring clarity to any individual who seeks to find it. Um, but, you know, that's a lot of words to describe kind of what's going on. But that's those are some of my perspectives on kind of why we have all this kind of rumble right now um, in, in the Christian community around the issue of the timing of the rapture. Some... Some people will even call it a civil war. I'm like, I wouldn't go that far. Um, but people do get very emotional about this topic. Um, you know, when I I have an aunt who's in her 80s, and I, you know, a couple of years ago when I was, you know, kind of giving her some of this evidence, um, she got angry. You know, her face turned red, and she's a believer. <laughs> she's like, I don't, I don't want to hear any of that. You know, so it, it's hard. Um, not everyone is a Berean but I encourage everyone to be like the Bereans if, if possible. Now, going back to something that you said before, that the tribulation, maybe not the actual tribulation, but tribulation is happening around the world. In your experience and maybe just your opinion, do you think that Christians around the world interpret and view the end times eschatology with this sort of Americanized 
perspective or, you know, are, are there other schools of thought that are uh, not local to the Americas? You know, that's a good question. There's there's a, uh, a Christian leader who I've, I have followed for a couple of years now. He's uh, from India. He's just a fantastic Bible teacher. And here's, here's the interesting thing. Um, up until it was the same year, 2006, and, and I, I was watching one of his YouTube videos and I was like blown away. Um, up until 2006, he absolutely believed and in India would teach the pre-tribulation rapture. He did. And God started to reveal to him in 2006 that he was wrong. And, and he was just the kind of had this back and forth, you know, some of these people have these like almost live conversations with God. I don't, I only had one in my whole life where I could like literally hear God speaking sentences. Like it was crazy. Um, but here's someone from India, a, a Christian leader from India, who just like these leaders I've talked about in the United States was convinced that the church was not going to go through that period. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to him and said, no, actually that's not correct. And so effective in 2006, he's now, letting people know, hey, you guys need to be prepared for this. We're going to go through it. I've changed my opinion. So I don't think there's like six other versions of end times out there as it relates to the book of Revelation, like in other countries. I don't think in South Korea they've got something other than those four main ones. Um, I think predominantly people have those four views, not that there's some, some people don't believe there will be a seven-year period of time, that that's all just allegorical and, you know, but other than those groups, um, I think generally people fall into one of those four camps. And the fascinating thing is even in other countries like India, God is doing the same thing. He's changing people's minds and, show, and giving them clarity and, and showing them. And I, again, as I alluded to earlier, I think it's because God is like an incredibly loving father and he doesn't want his children to go into this horrible period of time completely unprepared, unprepared financially, spiritually, emotionally, I mean, he, he wants um, his children to kind of know what they're in for and to be able to plan for that. And um, and so that's what I think is happening, not just in the United States, but around the world. It's very interesting. Now, not only has this topic fascinated you from a study perspective, but from a creative perspective as well. You've, you've written a fiction series on the idea of wrath based on the biblical text we've been discussing. Uh, can you share a little bit about that and, and maybe some of the catalyst of why you put the books together? I can. And, you know, it's kind of a wild story. Um, <laughs> you know, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. I firmly believe that. The Bible says that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And so I think this is a situation where God wanted to get this message out about the, the rapture, and a fictional book is a good way to do that. And I think he looked at me and said, okay, uh, DR never went to seminary, never went to Bible school, doesn't know Greek, Aramaic, or Hebrew, and he's never been a pastor, and he's not a writer. Perfect. You're qualified, right? So, <laughs> so. I'm one of those foolish things, you know, who, I mean, I'm just, I mean, I, I'm not a pastor, right? But, and yet God qualifies those he calls. And so after I kind of changed my thinking on the rapture, um, the timing of the rapture in 2006, I didn't have a clue what to do next. I was like, I, I got to tell people. So I would talk to relatives and friends and it just wasn't, it didn't feel like I was impacting like very many people or they didn't want to talk about it. And so I was thinking back to, you know, late 
1990s, early 2000s, and you know, I enjoyed reading the Left Behind book series. I thought it was really fun to read. And I thought, why don't I do something like that? Why don't I write fictional novels about you know, this seven-year period, about the millennium, about the judgment seat of Christ, all the way through to eternity. Like, my book series starts, like, six months before the rapture. I'm sorry, six months before the 70th week of Daniel and carries forward the same characters all the way into the beginning of eternity. So it's not just about the rapture. It's about the whole sequence of events. I thought, why don't I do something like that? Because that will capture people's attention. And But it has to be fun to read. It, it can't be, like, horrible, right? And... You know, I'm not a writer. I, I, I'm, I've since graduated from college. I've, I've led organizations in the, in the business world, like the B2B world, business to business, like IT and back office operations. I mean, client facing. I'm not a writer, and so I really had. It was, it was like hard. Like this is, you know, maybe if I've been writing since I was 10 years old, it would have been easy. But it was actually a lot of work. But at the same time, it was a lot of fun. Um, but that was my impetus for writing it. I wanted to to influence other Christians to then do their homework, to do their own research. My goal was not to change anybody's mind through these books. It was to get people to think for themselves. And in fact, it's been working. I, I'll, I'll read you um, an Amazon review from just uh, like three weeks ago uh, by a reader. And she says, talking about the book series that the Wrath Trilogy says, I didn't want to put it down it moves you to immediately study Revelation to see what you overlooked. That's exactly what I'm shooting for. I want people, when they read these books, not to agree with me or disagree. Number one, I want them to be entertained. And, and based on the reviews on Amazon, people are finding it really entertaining. Uh, it's a good read. Um, but more importantly, I want people to, to do exactly what this reader did, to go back to their Bible and say, you know what, let me take another look at this. Let me kind of figure this out on my own now that I've had this kind of new thinking on, on, on the sequence of events here. And so that was my hope, just to get people thinking in the same way that Rosenthal's book got me thinking, right? And, and, if I, and I'm so glad I stumbled on that, and I'm sure it was, there's, there's an old saying, there's no coincidence for Christians. I'm sure it's no coincidence that I stumbled on Rosenthal's book at my dad's house, uh, because that subsequently led to me writing Wrath, Wrath Left Behind, and Wrath the Millennium. Um, which are now impacting folks um, and, and causing them to kind of do their own homework, which is exactly, that was exactly my goal. I don't want this, I don't want this to come uh, or, or to sound offensive. Uh, it's, it's more just an inquisition. Um, but I think the Left Behind series had a lot of effect on people Um uh, a, a, a lot of negative impact. Let's let's leave it at that. Sure. Um, some really found it entertaining and, and saw it as a pure work of fiction and and did what uh, you hoped, where you would just simply uh, inspire people to to go back to the text. Other people sold everything and lost uh, houses and and you know finances and and you know maybe that was probably due to some unwise decisions on their part. But at the same time, the, the point is that the, the works have an effect on people. Yes. Now, do you think that your work plays into uh, Christians believing that this work is more than fiction? Um, you know, taking it as, as gospel instead of pointing to the gospel and to the work that you're, that you're uh, taking from? 
that is absolutely a possibility. And you know, when 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 you asked this, I, I did think about the the Left Behind books. I mean, when I read them, I thought they were theologically correct. I mean, I took them kind of as theology. I mean, I was pretty young when I read them, um, and it wasn't until years later when I thought, oh, some of this is actually not correct. I and mean, the basic premise here is actually incorrect. So there is absolutely that risk. In, in terms of pointing to people to the gospel, I think every good story kind of has a redemptive part to it. And, um, and there is a redemptive part, not to spoil, you know, the story, um, but there's a key character. In fact, I would argue the main character in the whole story who comes to faith in Christ through this whole process. And then you kind of get to see how he lives out kind of the rest of his life. And it's, it's pretty cool to watch that. Uh, but there is absolutely that risk. I mean, but I would hope no one would, you know, sell their home, um, you know, as a result of reading these books. I mean, that sounds crazy. Man. And I, in fact, I didn't realize people were doing those kinds of things after reading Left Behind books. But um, I will tell you this, though. Um, as I wrote all three books, Wrath, Wrath Left Behind, and Wrath the Millennium, I literally had my Bible open next to me. And, and it was like my script, like especially on the, the second book, um, Wrath Left Behind, where it talks about, you know, God's wrath. And, and, and the judgment that comes through the trumpet and the trumpet and the bowl judgments. I literally was going like verse by verse through the Bible, using that as my guide to ride when I wrote to, as my guide as I wrote. The same thing is true about the millennium. The same thing was true about the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ right out of scripture. So I was, in fact, I was paranoid. I mean, remember, I am not a writer. I'm just, I'm like a business guy. And so I'm like, okay, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a pastor. I don't want to mess this up. And so I was so paranoid and I would actually pray as I would write new chapters and say, God, if I'm about to write something that's not quite right, you need to correct me. And you know what? He actually would do that. I would be driving to work, getting ready to plan like the next chapter or two. And I can remember a specific situation where something I was going to write, it turned out was like not quite accurate. And I, I was listening to a Christian, like, you know, radio program driving into work and the the pastor happened to be teaching on that exact thing I was going to write about that week. And like, oh, perfect. Thank you for like fixing that for me. Um, so I was actually, you know, kind of terrified a little bit. I'm like, I don't want to misrepresent what the Bible says. And so I was very careful in all three books. Now, having said that, um, there there is some creative license that you take when you write a fictional novel. And so in cases, in situations where the Bible was completely silent about something, you know, I made something up. Let me give you a simple example. The Bible says that during those thousand years of Christ's rule, Satan will be chained up in the bottomless pit for the entire thousand years. And then right at the end, he's going to be let loose so he can, you know, kind of test people and see if they're really loyal to God or not. And of course, unfortunately, this huge number of people follow him and are deceived by him. But it doesn't say exactly when Satan gets out of the bottomless pit. It doesn't say, okay, two weeks before the end or four months before the end, or one year before the end of that time. It just says, you know, at the end, he's going to be let out, and he's going to deceive a bunch of people. So I just picked six months. I, I, I just did some kind of math in my head and say, well, how long would it take someone to put an army together to march against Israel in an agrarian society, you know? And how long would it take to beat your plowshares back into swords again, you know? But kind of the reverse of what happened at the beginning of the millennium. And so six months kind of made sense. That's an example of kind of some creative license. The Bible's silent. It doesn't say, so I pick six months. So those are the areas where, you know, I just kind of speculated, but things that were, things that are just very specific, like 
what is the criteria for getting rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat? Well, it's quick. If you had pure motives, you get a reward. So I stuck to that in, in terms of describing individuals receiving their rewards. So in, you know, in my third book, there's people who did everything to be seen by men, and then they get to the Bema seat, and they're like, they have nothing. Like, you did it all just for your own glory. You don't get a reward here. And there were other people who had pure motives and didn't think they were going to earn much. And it's like, no, you were just right on. I mean, you just cared about people and loved them. And so you got this huge reward. So I was, I, but I understand there's, there's risk there, but I was very careful to follow chapter and verse of what I read in the Bible. Now, some, as we mentioned, take this topic with ambivalence that it really it really doesn't matter. They don't yes. care. Um, you know, just kind of a hands-off approach. Uh, what would you say to somebody who thinks like that? I see that all the time. Um, I'll post something and someone will say, well, the only preparation I need to do for the end times is to be saved. Or the only preparation I need to be, you know, for the end times is to be born again. I, I'd simply disagree. I mean, if you think, you know, in Matthew 24, Jesus' disciples come to him and they ask him like the same thing we're talking about right now. They're like, when's all this stuff going to happen? What are the signs? And what do we got to do to prepare? You know, they're just like really curious, just like you and I are curious. And interestingly enough, he didn't say, well, you know, just trust in me. Like, just be born again. Like, abide in me. He didn't say that. I mean, he, he started this huge, like, dialogue in Matthew 24 by saying, you know, you guys need to be careful that you're not deceived. Like, he's, that's the first thing he said. Be careful not to be deceived. So right away, in terms of preparing for the end times, Jesus is giving us a to-do item, right? And it's not just be born again. It's like, be careful not to be deceived. The key to not being deceived in a time like this is to truly study and understand, like, what's going to happen, the sequence of events. I had one person post to me just, you know, the other day. um, She said, well, I I don't think Christians need to study Bible prophecy at all. (laughs) And I was like, whoa, time out here. 30, roughly a third of the Bible is prophetic, meaning... Now, much of it has been fulfilled already. Like, there were, there were lots of prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus, and he fulfilled them all. So, you know, lots of it are, has already been fulfilled. But if you say that we shouldn't study Bible prophecy, that means we shouldn't read a third of the Bible. And the Bible itself tells us to read the whole Bible. It says the, the entire, um, that all Scripture is inspired and is, is valuable for us. And, and so the Bible it says, itself says, read the whole thing. And in fact, you may know this. The book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that tells you, I'm special, read me. It promises a blessing for those who would read and study that particular book. So of all the books to study, if you want a blessing, you got to read Revelation. So I disagree on that ambivalence that, that Jesus, through his parables, through specific things he said, he wants us to be prepared for the future for what's coming. Um, by the way, I'll, I'll put in a little infomercial here for Nelson Walters, that's W-A-L-T-E-R-S, Nelson Walters is a Christian author, and he has a YouTube bunch of YouTube videos out there. And he's got one that covers this exact thing. He's got a YouTube movie that's titled How to Prepare for the Last Days. And this is a perfect thing for folks to watch that kind of are ambivalent about this. Like, I don't really need to do any prep. Uh, Nelson Walters, in his YouTube movie, um, How to Prepare for the Last Days, he gives specific things that you and I should be doing to prepare for the last days, very practical stuff. So it's a great resource for folks to check out. 
And DR, I've really enjoyed our conversation. As we bring our time to a close, what's something that you think the church needs to hear from somebody like you in your position that would help us move in a more positive direction? Uh, it, it could be on the subject that we've been talking about or maybe just something that you're observing. I'd say a couple of things. I would say, you know, first and foremost, you know, non-believers are watching us. So be respectful and courteous to each other all the time. Like just be nice, right? Love each other. Because remember, that's what God said will attract others to us is if we love one another, they'll see that love and they're like, these guys are different than, than I am and then, and then my friends at work. So be courteous, be respectable, respectable to each other, um, love one another, you know, don't, don't call each other names. You know, you can agree to disagree agreeably. Um, the other thing I would say to everyone is, is be open-minded. Be like the Bereans. I mean, you think about myself. You know, when I was first introduced to this new thinking on the rapture, I could have just chucked that book in the trash. I could have said, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to read a piece of junk like that. It can't be right. I didn't because I've always been a Berean. I mean, I'm not a crazy Berean. Like if someone told me that Jesus wasn't God, I mean, I'd throw that idea in the trash. Right? I mean, there's obviously there's, there's certain things that are just blasphemous, and you're like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be a Berean about that. Um, but some of these other granular areas where there's different schools of thought, be like the Bereans and just be open-minded, and and ask the Holy Spirit to just give you insight and wisdom. And He absolutely is good on His word. If you ask for that and you, and you study and ask for the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth, He'll never let you down. So that would that would be my advice. Those are great thoughts, Dr. And thanks so much for making the time to be on the show. Where can people connect with you and the books? There are a couple of ways. Um, the probably the best way is just I have a website for the books. It's called therathbooks.com, and that's books with an S, of course, because there's three books. So therathbooks.com. From there, there's a link to my Facebook page for the books where I post. There's a lot of lively discussion. If you want to find a lot of lively debate, like the stuff we've been talking about today, and You'll find it on my Facebook page for the books. The Facebook page is actually Dr. Ropemore, but they can find uh, a link to the Facebook page by going to therathbooks.com. Either of the, from either of those places, they can send me a note. I get questions a lot. Um, sometimes it's people just saying, "Hey, thanks. Um, I got a, a t really long note just a couple days ago from um, from a guy, and he just he just wanted to he wanted to go back and forth a little bit and just talk about you know one of the books in the series, and so we did that." And unless I'm traveling, like for work or personal life, I usually respond to questions or, or comments within 24 hours. So therathbooks.com or my Facebook page, which is Dr. Ropemore, um, either one. And you can, of course, just go to amazon.com and put in my last name, R-O-Q-U-E-M-O-R-E, -E, and all the books will come up. Um, there's very few Ropemores in the United States, so and there's very few books written by Ropemore. So if you... If you just type in my name, you'll find it on Amazon. But th those those would be the best ways. The, the wrathbooks.com would probably be the easiest one to remember. That's great. We'll make sure we list it all in the show notes. But again, man, thanks so much for making the time. Absolutely. I truly appreciate it. And that wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. Until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. You've been listening to The Dismantle, creating community, not conflicts. Visit us at dismantlepod.com.